Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health, and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argavon Neil Forouge, a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now let's get into today's conversation. The power of the mindset. It can either help us soar or hold us back. However, self-awareness starts with knowing your inner child. Talia Del Drew is a life coach with a focus on self-discovery, self-healing, and self-leadership, specializing firstly on inner child work and emotional well-being. Talia obtained her Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology from American University and a master's degree in positive organizational psychology from Claremont Graduate University. She holds further training in mindfulness-based stress reduction, transformational coaching, and internal family systems. Hi, Talia. Welcome to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Any opportunity I get to speak about these topics is just life-giving for me. So I appreciate you reaching out and I'm excited to see how we can support our listeners today. Awesome. And as I know, inner child work is so transformational, but I still feel like in our society, it's very undervalued. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to put this information out there as well. I always like to ask the backstory though, right? Like how did you get here? Why did you decide to pursue positive psychology and mm-hmm. why inner work specifically? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I want to have this elaborate backstory, <laughs> but really, you know, the truth is I just kind of always knew that I would do this someday. Like I, even in, you know, in school, there was just this knowing that psychology and and being in this field in some capacity would be where I ended up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it was just, it was a combination of l- being so fascinated by questions that had to do with our growth and development and, you know, just concepts, the big concepts like passion and purpose and life path and calling. Like these, these were such interesting concepts to me, but I also saw people who were very close to me growing up really struggling to Mm -hmm. find meaning and purpose and find themselves. And, you know, I kind of just had this role almost growing up where I was observing, you know, in some ways, like people looking for all the the right things in the wrong places kind of thing. And I was just consumed with questions about how do we find our purpose? What does it mean to heal? How do we move through life's transitions? How do we navigate change? And I, you know, it it really just came down to where do I go to find answers to these questions? And I had, you know, the the kind of infamous stories that I was reading a book, I was traveling for about a year doing some leadership development and consulting with women at different universities across the country. And I picked up a book along the way, called flow. It's about the psychology of optimal experience. And I remember being like five pages in and something just clicked. And I turned to the back of the book and I was like, wherever this author is, like wherever he is, I'm going. And so (laughs) I literally applied to one program for grad school. And at that point, this was back in 20, 
2012 or 2013. It was one of the only master's programs and PhD programs in positive psychology. So it was really that or nothing. And um, I ended up doing my graduate degree and my um, getting my master's in positive psychology there with with the author of the book himself. And it was just such a fascinating experience. And again, it just gave me it was it was finding answers to these questions that I feel like plague so many people and we're we're all just looking for these answers and we think we're going to find it in the next job or the next fill in the blank and and there is a real you know there is a there is an easier way to go about life and research backs it up and mm-hmm. you know an inner child work specifically came to me a bit later in my work I've been coaching for 10 years now and it wasn't until about last year that inner child work really kind of came to the forefront for me and you know, in terms of how that fits into the mix, how I see inner child work is, is it's learning how to, in the simplest ways, like learning how to speak to ourselves, learning how to tend to our needs, learning how to uh, parent ourselves through mm-hmm. life, good, bad, and everything in between. And I know we'll get a little bit more deeper into what inner child work looks like in a few moments here, but that's a little bit about the journey and, um, and kind of what, you know, what questions kept me up at night and and a determination to find some answers. (laughs) Yeah. And I absolutely love this area of work, but I also feel like you can never learn enough about it. And to be fully honest, I really started digging deep only after I became a parent. I felt I was always an observant child. I I was an, I mean, I'm an empath still, but especially as a child, but it's only when I had my kids and I started to dig deep and go, why are certain things my triggers? And why do I react the way that I do to certain things? And even though I always thought, you know, I meant to be a mom and I, and I got this and I know everything that I needed to do. There were a lot of moments where I struggled. And so also working with kids, I thought I got to really understand how this all works. And the more that I dug deeper, not just in the textbooks, but within myself, a lot of things started to come to the surface and a lot of realizations. And now when I meet other people, like you said, if I have peers, colleagues, friends, acquaintances, and they're struggling, I always now will observe the behavior and go, oh, it's little, you know, fill in the blank. And they're going back to that moment in their childhood that I know is not fully healed. Yeah, And so they're reacting to things in their current life without mm-hmm. knowing that it comes um, with their history. So I think that whole self-awareness is really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It Like it comes from somewhere, right? And, mm-hmm. and you can probably speak into this more than I can, but in your early life, like that's the most formative time of your life. Your brain is developing, your view, your self-concept, your idea of the world. And is it a safe or a scary place? And, and, you know, it's it's such a foundational time in terms of the beliefs we form and then, you know, in many ways kind of operate from or or um, like see the world through for for often for the rest of our lives. And unless we're willing to kind of take a step back and do what you did, which is question, you know, and just be curious. OK, why why do I respond in this way? Where does this come from? And you know, I think for most people, there's a fine line between being curious about ourselves and and being very like judgmental and very hard on ourselves. Like, why am I like this? Is very different than 
huh, I wonder why I'm like this. You know, it's just like it's a difference in tone, but it's still coming from a different place. And so that curiosity kind of back to my first response, like follow the questions and let yourself really be in the question and stay curious about it and see where you see where you get to. Yeah. And now when I have friends tell me they're going to be new parents and they ask me all the time, they're like, tell me your top five parenting books. Give me your top five parenting podcasts. Like who have you interviewed on the show that we need to learn all about the child? Yeah. And I go, I'm going to change the narrative here because someone did not do that for me. And I'm like, but what if you focus on you? And yeah. so a lot of people have now come back to me. And I just started really doing this a year ago where I'm like, not your child, your future child, but you, your inner child. And so now a lot of people have started this work and they're like, wow, there's so many things that are revealing itself because there's this pressure to be that perfect parent, the perfect partner, the perfect colleague, the perfect coworker, but no one is really working on themselves. Mm -hmm. And so when that starts to happen, like it's magic, almost your relationships start to improve. And we're going to talk about all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it it has a trickle effect for sure. Everything everything touches everything and mm-hmm. and I think you're right often we're we're quick to jump to, you know, who's the expert and where's the book and what should I read and what should I listen to and it's like not that that's not helpful. Absolutely it's helpful. I'm constantly learning from other people, but are you also willing to look in the mirror and learn from yourself because ultimately no one knows you better than you and there's a lot of information and insight that really only you can fully know you know mm-hmm. and and yeah so I, I think it takes courage it takes willingness to be open it takes a little bit of um you know also some discomfort I think often yes. we're or lots of discomfort lots of discomfort yeah I think yeah. when it comes to like our inner child and and thinking you know back to our early life there's understandably for, for a lot of people, a lot of resistance to doing that. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, part of that is what am I going to find out? Is it going to be, is it going to be too overwhelming? What if it's too painful? What if I get stuck in the past? What if I, you know, don't know what to do with it? And, and, you know, often too, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more as well, but Often with the inner child work, at least in the context that I do inner child work in with with my clients in my space, we're not necessarily talking about big traumas that happen. You know, for for mm-hmm. the people that I'm working with, it's it's less about trauma in early life and more about understanding how, you know, at certain points in in time, you had certain needs that weren't met. And when those needs weren't met, you came to some kind of conclusion about why that need wasn't met. I didn't get what I needed because I'm not important enough. I don't matter enough. Nobody sees me. Nobody gets me. No one's here for me. I'm alone. Like those are the kinds of beliefs that form as a result of of certain needs not being met in life. So, you know, I think again, inner child work is often talked about really only in the context of trauma and there's a time and a space for that. And there's also a time and a space for, you know, those of us like me who had a really great childhood, you know, nothing major, nothing super painful, nothing bad happened to me. And yet I had needs that went unmet, not because my Mm -hmm. parents weren't present, but because A, I couldn't communicate what those needs were when I was two years old, right? (laughs) Or, Mm -hmm. Or, 
maybe my parents thought they were meeting a need and it just wasn't the way I needed it to be met. I mean, the, the reasons are kind of endless, but ultimately it's understanding that regardless of what happened to you, there was kind of like a consequence of that in terms of how you processed it and what you made it mean about you, about the world and about other people. So that's really for me where, where the inner child work happens. Yeah. And you brought up a really big word, trauma, which I'd like to get into eventually with our conversation. And I know we will, but before we go there, for those listeners who are, who've heard inner child, but don't know exactly what that means, what does it mean? Yeah. So, you know, you can find a lot of different explanations and definitions of it. For me, how I conceptualize the inner child is it's the voice inside of you that comes in every now and then and tells you that you're not good enough, that tells you that you don't matter, that tells you that you can't, that that gets scared, that feels unsafe. Um you know, and to go back to kind of my previous response, the inner child is the part of us that had certain needs that went unmet and therefore came to form certain beliefs because of that experience or multiple experiences throughout its life. And so, you know, when I think of my inner child, I think of the the part of me that um, longed for certain things that, that um, you know, just didn't necessarily have the resources she needed to feel safe in her feelings. And, and, you know, it's, it's almost like the part of you that got left behind at some point or the part of you that in some way was neglected, the part of you that in some ways felt abandoned. We've all got, we've all got a part of us that's experienced some sort of something as it relates to that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how can I, I, I want to make sure that was clear. Can I, what, what questions can I answer about that? Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to add in there too about suppressed childhood emotions. So mm-hmm. I feel like just throwing it in there, a lot of people who've come from immigrant families and the diaspora, for example, and their parents were in survival mode day in and day out. And mm-hmm. while they had the intention to be loving and mindful, they just didn't have the capability or the capacity. And yeah. I feel like a lot of us may be experiencing that, you know, as adults. Um, So I've kind of put all of those things together too, in terms of, Mm -hmm. like you said, it might not be the big traumas or it could be the big traumas, but just going back to unmet needs, suppressed childhood emotions. Totally. And I think, you know, I would say that's probably the most common and best way to summarize uh, inner child work. It's, It's an understanding that you know, most of us, and this is, I feel like this is a safe generalization to make for whatever reason, whether it was in school with a teacher or at home with our parents or our grandparents or our caregivers, whoever that was for us, that there's likely some emotion or multiple different emotions that we're not fully safe to express. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the the core needs, and, and I learned a lot of this from, you know, teachers like Gabor Mate and yes. his, his, you know, his work right now is that's just kind of blowing up with his new book. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about how one of the core wounds is not being able to fully experience the the full range of our emotions. And you know, when I think about my inner child, that that's it, right? It mm-hmm. was I, 
anger. I couldn't be angry. I always had to have a smile on. Mm-hmm. And it was actually, it was really that. Like I felt like I my my emotional uh, expression, if you will, or my emotional experience was like I was taught that it, it should be limited to one thing and that one thing is happy. And if you're not happy, if there's anything else you're feeling, there's no time for it. There's no space for it. It wasn't said directly to me, but that's mm-hmm. how I internalized that's what I made it mean when, you know, my mom would say, oh, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Get over it. You know, mm-hmm. I took I took that to mean, oh, what I'm feeling is wrong. Happiness is the only thing that's acceptable. So if I'm feeling anything other than that, I either have to hide it or pretend that I'm okay when I'm really not. And you can see how, you know, over time, that's going to have some, they're going to be, it's going to create challenges in yes. relationships and whether, whether that's relationship to self, relationship to friends, relationship to family, relationship to partner. Like, so yeah, I, I, I do think if we were to summarize it, it's about the full range of emotion and what we felt safe and allowed to explore and experience and what we were kind of either judged or, sh- or shamed out of, if that, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. And suppression, as we know, is like a pressure cooker. Eventually yeah. for every person, it could be a different point in their life but it Mm -hmm. will explode. And so (laughs) the earlier and the more you can do the work, the better it is because we, you know, we always want to encourage healthy coping mechanisms. Yeah. Um, But we know that unfortunately there are a lot of people that are struggling with mental health, with addiction, right? Like you mentioned, um, Kapoor Mate Mm -hmm. talks a lot about that. And so we have to really have these conversations more because of how, high the statistics are that are showing us about people's struggles. Yeah. Um, Tali, you talk about something called the inner child challenge. What yeah. is that? Yeah. So the inner child challenge is something that I created a couple months ago, just because I was getting a lot of questions from people uh, really about like how to start, where do I start with the inner child work? And so the inner child challenge is a five day process or kind of experience that I guide people through one day at a time for five days. And it's really just intended to get get you into contact with your inner child through exercises, simple prompts, and, um, you know, and really just start to kind of bring to the surface what some of those needs might have been that went unmet, what some of those beliefs might have been that were formed in your early life. So it's kind of like a gentle introduction into the work and a great place for people to start if they're curious about it. I love that. And what are some revelations or feedback that people have given you that have been more eye-opening? Like, wow, this is is more profound than I thought it would be. Yeah. You know, the most common response I've been getting from people is and I, I've actually quoted quoted this woman specifically several times because it's been such a common reaction and response. Even my like even my own reaction and response initially to the inner child work was, I never thought I never thought I'd have to do this because I had such a good childhood, and yet mm-hmm. there's so much here for me. There's so much healing that still gets to happen. Um, but it's it's mostly that it's kind of the surprise that people feel when they when they look at this work and they they kind of for a for a long time don't think it's relevant to them because they didn't have a traumatic or a bad childhood and yet there's still there's still a lot of insight and and um you know healing that gets to happen regardless of of how good and how rosy 
it was or wasn't for you growing up. So that to me is the most fun response because that's kind of my mission and my goal with this is to really expand the conversation and extend it beyond the, you know, confines, if you will, of, of trauma. And so, um, that surprise for me is, is always gratifying and always like, yay, yes. Like there's something in this for everybody. And, um, if, you know, if you're willing to explore it. Yeah. And so speaking about, so we know everyone is so different. There are 8 billion people in the world Mm -hmm. and how people go through life. Like you said, they might report, oh, I had a, you know, a fine childhood, nothing really dramatic happened. It was just okay. Mm -hmm. Or it was happy, but then things happened in life. And, you know, you, you would kind of, if you were interviewing someone question, like, was it actually happy? And there's this thing that called the Enneagram. And I don't know if you know about that, that I learned about having interviewed someone about her work with the Enneagram prison project. And I found that so interesting because there's this thing called personality, which we now equate with just coping through life. But it also has to do with like your patterns and how you interpret the world and how you manage your emotions and then your experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that makes sense for a lot of people like, but you know, if you were say a very emotional person and you had to suppress that probably, you know, caused you a lot of harm, for example, or how you viewed the world and how you were supposed to act, you know, and if there was a huge disconnect, then that also caused those things um, in your life. So I think all of that really kind of ties into this whole conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of inner child, daily Mm -hmm. life, right? Because you probably now observe people doing (laughs) what we think are mundane things or their interactions with others, whether it's a child or an adult or their pet. What Uh are you seeing there in terms of how that inner child is impacting their daily interactions and just how they cope as an adult day in and day out? Yeah, I love this question. And there are a lot of different ways to answer it. The the kind of where my mind first goes with this in terms of how our inner child shows up and plays out in our daily life is in our inner dialogue more than Mm -hmm. anything else, or at least it starts there. It starts in our, it starts in the, it comes out through our inner dialogue in the form, often in the form of self-limiting beliefs. And, you know, and in terms of kind of connecting those dots to then how we project and how we act out on those self-limiting beliefs, I mean, the, the ways that can look are endless, right? So an example would be, okay, if, if I'm um, feeling some sort of challenge or conflict with my partner, as an adult, the two of us today in this moment are going through something difficult. In that moment, because of my particular wounds and my formative beliefs and my experience growing up, my inner child might pop in and say, we can't we can't tell him how we're actually feeling. It's not safe to be honest in our emotions. Pretend like you're okay. Mm-hmm. And let's just kind of like shove this under the rug. We don't like conflict is not something we want. Your emotions, there's no space. It's not going to be safe to express them. You're going to, you know, he's going to tell you, you sound crazy. So that you, you, you can kind of see how quickly that inner dialogue can go off in those types of moments. And you know, and then that would show up in how I would react or respond to my partner in that moment by either 
completely avoiding the conversation or, um, you know, getting super defensive or feeling this need to prove that I'm right in my feelings. And, you know, and, and when we're showing up from that place, we're not necessarily like we're, we, we've got, we're armed, right? Like we're, we're coming in kind of guns ablazing and, and we're trying to protect, right? So much of it in terms of the out, outward expression of our inner child is, is in the form of protective mechanisms. And so that's, you know, something I would also encourage people to think about is if you consider that you have all these different parts of you kind of on the inside, like this inner team of people who are kind of your board of advisors internally, what are they trying to protect you from? How are they trying to protect you? In what ways are they helping? In what, way, in what ways are they hurting? If we think of it in the context of protection, it can often make it a little easier to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and more compassion uh, there too, right? When uh-huh. we reframe things that way. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because we go from, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I like this? To okay, I'm noticing this part of me is really wanting to keep me safe right now. It's doing this by convincing me to avoid conflict, but I know that it's okay to have a difficult conversation, right? And and so how do I then talk to my inner child in that moment and say, hey, I'm here with you. This is safe. It's okay to have a difficult conversation. We can do this together. I'm not going to leave you behind. Please trust me. And let me, you know, let me kind of engage as the adult that I am and let me know how I can support you through this. And then it's almost like, again, kind of like you become the mother and you're talking to this little part of you and and you're kind of like teaming up and working together to address whatever's showing up in present day. Yeah. And I love that you said that because I took it right away to external relationships Mm -hmm. and you brought it right back to, but no, it's how you feel about yourself the things that you say to yourself and what's yeah. going on in your mind, because you're right, then that will then affect what comes out in mm-hmm. your interactions with other people. So I love that you said that. And so this is where I constantly have to remind myself to, it's like, go inward, go inward. Go inward. Yeah. yeah. And notice, I mean, to your point earlier in the conversation, like notice the places, like notice what your default narrative tends to be in times of not feeling safe or in times of conflict, like for me, a very common resting place would be this feeling that I did something wrong or that somebody was upset with me or that I had to make sure that they, you know, that they were okay and feeling responsible for other people's feelings. Like that was a very common place for my mind to go. And and again, I call it my resting place because it just felt like the default. That's just where I would go. And, you know, I wouldn't get a call back and I would immediately conclude, oh my gosh, they must be upset with me. I must've done something wrong. What did I do? How can I fix this? Like that was just an an underlying kind of like operative story in my mind. And again, what a beautiful window, if you will, to your inner child, like, okay, that comes from somewhere. How old is that part of me that feels like things are her fault? Like how long have I felt like I've needed to fix things and, and, Again, like that's where the exploration gets to happen. And so I would encourage anyone listening here too to say, okay, what's like, what is that default conclusion that I come to often when I experience certain things? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about, so inner child, you know, can apply to everybody and it certainly does. So when Mm -hmm. you become a parent though, you're also reparenting 
yourself, which yeah. I think some people kind of go, huh? Um, because we think as, you know, we're adults, we've grown up, we've gone through the stages, right? We all often hear older means wiser, yep. but not necessarily, right? So you could still be stuck in your inner child and not uh-huh. even be aware of it. Yeah. So what does that look like for people who are parents, but they're parenting another child, their own child, but they're uh-huh. also reparenting their inner child? Yeah. I can't answer that as a parent. I'm not a parent yet, <laughs> except to my poor baby. Um, but, you know, I think what that would look like for anyone, whether whether or not you have a child, the reparenting is, and I, can't, I feel like I'm, I'm almost saying the same thing over and over again, but it really is about how you speak to yourself. And when I say yourself, I, I mean your inner child. How are you speaking to the part of you who feels unsafe, to the part of you who feels scared, to the part of you who feels stressed? And really, if we zoom out a little bit more and make it a little bit more practical and simple. So example for me would be the thing I didn't get, my wound in early life was space to feel my feelings, mm-hmm. to put it simply. Mm-hmm. Space to feel whatever it was without feeling rushed through to putting a smile on or any of that. And so how I reparent, and this is this takes 30 seconds. The minute I wake up in the morning, I pull out my journal. And if that feels like too much, just do it in your head. I sit down and I ask my, I, I literally speak <laughs> to my parts, to my inner child. And I say, hi, my love, how are we feeling today? That question I longed, I still, I still want my parents to ask me how I'm feeling. We just don't ask each other how we're feeling. We're together all the time. We see each other all the time. We love each other. We spend so much time together, but it's very rare that we honestly take a look at each other and say, tell me how you're feeling. Yeah. Without judgment, without projection, right? Because oftentimes people will ask like, are you doing okay? Which is a close-ended question, right? Versus how are you feeling? And then pause. And allow that person to respond authentically. Totally. I never, you know, I never had that growing Mm -hmm. up. And so I offer that to my inner child every single morning. And sometimes, and so, and then, you know, you kind of leave space for the response to come up, Mm -hmm. you know, and she might say, and this is, you know, I had this experience a couple months ago, but I keep referring back to it because it's such a kind of powerful thing to be able to give to myself now. So, you know, let's say I sat down and I asked her how she was feeling and she, I could just tell like there was a part of me that was just in a really bad mood. She was pissy. She was frustrated. She was annoyed. And I let her tell me that. And my, and then it's, it's, it's in the response back, right. That the real mm-hmm. magic gets to happen. And so my response back to her internally in my mind was, I totally get it. It makes sense to me that you feel that way. If you still want to feel that way tomorrow, the day after, you can feel that for as long as you need to. I don't need you to put a smile on for me. I love you regardless. I'm here for you. I'm still going to go on and have a great day. You can have whatever experience you're having, feel whatever it is you're feeling. I'm here with you and I love you. And there's something in that simple exchange for me. And again, that's very much like what I need based on my uh, my inner child and my needs and my wounds and what, you know, what needs weren't met. But that to me is reparenting on a daily basis, checking in. How are we feeling everybody? Okay. Are we good? Let me know what you need. I'm here. I love you. I haven't forgotten about you. And when I start my day with that, there's something in 
making that part of me feel like the most important thing. Like she is my priority. She knows it because she's the first thing I check in with every day. And once that's done, she's good. She's like, okay, thanks. All good. Go have fun. And then we go and have our day. Yeah. Um, And I love that. And I ask that for a reason, because when I say when you're a parent, it's because with children, they will mirror back to you every single unresolved feeling, pain, immaturity, Uh like things that you want to try to bury and just get on with your day. But so they're the ultimate test. And so that I brought that up for a reason, because in that moment, like you, any parent you talk to will say, oh my goodness, I'm so frustrated. My child is being disrespectful, right? So it's the projection is being disrespectful. Mm -hmm. They're not appreciating what I'm saying. They're trying to get under my skin. They're talking, but it all goes back to, it's not about them so much as it is about you. And I think that's why in that moment, it's the ultimate test. And you sort of have to catch yourself if you don't have that awareness of like, oh, this is really bothering me. Why? Because yeah. it goes back to the earlier days, right? The Like you said, yeah. the, the wounds, the, yeah. the suppression, um, anything that we didn't get then will somehow come back to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, and it, again, it can be as simple as just recognizing and naming what you're experiencing. So what that could sound like is, okay, I'm noticing a part of me is feeling really frustrated right now. That makes sense to me. I get why I'm feeling that way. I'm allowed to feel that way. What do like, and, and, and to maybe just kind of leave it open to explore, okay, what else is here for me? What does this frustrated part of me need me to know? And to just validate it and to acknowledge it and to let it feel what it's feeling, but to also recognize that it's a part of you that's having the experience. It's not the whole of you that's having the experience. And if you can name it, it kind of almost creates like a healthy separation. It's like, okay, part of me is feeling that, but I get to be the one who holds space for it. It doesn't have to take, it doesn't have to take over, you know, mm-hmm. the power part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is work. I feel like every single person needs to do, should do. And like that should be a commitment to ourselves to like just start today, right? And there's different steps. Like you can start slowly. I mean, everything I feel, hence baby steps, right? Start (laughs) slowly and one day at a time because this is very difficult work, but it's very important work. Yeah. So with that, so Talia, I'm curious to know, you've done your own inner work. You've delved deep into your own inner child, but you've also worked with other people to get there too. Uh Uh-huh. This is one of those, if you knew then what you know now questions, what are like, if you had to pick the top three things, what would they be? If I knew then what I know now. So like three, okay. Three things I wish I knew sooner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Three things I wish I knew sooner. Um, mm, Three things I wish I knew sooner. Okay. Number one would be that, and this is almost like what I would say to my inner child, right? So the first would be that all of your feelings are real and valid to me. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, that there is value in being with what you're feeling without rushing yourself through it. Like I I often felt very rushed through my processing growing up. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so, so what I would tell myself is to take time processing. You have time to process. I will not rush you. I will not rush you. Yeah, There's something it's really very- about the journey, right? So you're not trying yeah. to get to a destination quickly and you're not, yeah. it's a marathon, not a sprint. Totally. And I notice, like I have parts often that kind of show up very angry parts when I'm, when I am moving a little bit too fast through my life, through my days, through my work. And I literally hear their voice and like hear their voice inside of me yelling at me going, Talia, stop rushing us. Like we will not be rushed through. We will not be rushed through this, whether it's an emotion or an exercise or a project, whatever it is, they need time. And I, and I, you know, I honor their pace and I honor their timing and I honor their needs. And so, yeah, I would share what I would share with myself then is it's okay to take your time. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that one. The third thing that I wish I knew sooner was that everyone's got an inner child. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if I, if I knew that sooner, if we all knew that sooner, we, I believe we would be so much more curious and compassionate towards each other and gentle, just more gentle and more mm, gracious with these very tender parts that often just kind of show up in ways that aren't really who we are. But um, yeah, I just think that if we, if we have this awareness that everyone's got an inner child that that shows up in in certain moments, especially difficult moments that we could be a little bit more forgiving and and just hold space a little bit more compassionately for each other. Yeah. And I feel like those inner child moments that you just referred to really showed up during the pandemic, especially in Mm -hmm. those early stay at home days where people, I mean, everybody struggled and some people really, really struggled. And now going into the holidays, you know, we know those are tough, difficult moments for a lot of people, like other people may be celebrating joy, happiness, togetherness yeah. for a lot of other people. It's isolation, right? Yeah. Grief, um, reminders of trauma and difficult moments when there were children. So we definitely, like you said, we have to go back to when we see or, or hear something, mm-hmm. remind ourselves like, you know, that someone is struggling and there's a reason for it. Totally. Not what's wrong with them, but what happened to them, right? Going yeah. back to totally. Yeah. And to even yeah. again go, to go back to like a simple practice is recognizing in yourself when you are starting to feel triggered or you're starting to feel grief or you're starting to feel whatever it is, to really just allow yourself to have your experience and just acknowledge what you're feeling in the moment without changing it, fixing it, judging it, just letting yourself be willing to understand it and, and and for it to be okay, right? It's like, okay, I see that there's some grief right now and that makes sense to me and that's okay and we're allowed to feel this and what do we need to do to honor this feeling right now? Mm-hmm. And take your time, right? And that looks different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and having support is wonderful, but not everybody has that. So it just means you mm-hmm. go a little slower. Yeah. But- you yeah. want to move forward instead yeah. of these big shifts backwards. Um, Talia, if we had to take everything that we talked about today and everything that you've learned and all your wisdom, the five core pillars that mm-hmm. lead to 
uh, high quality of life. And by that, I mean just being fulfilled and whole. Yeah. What would those be? Yeah. So this is actually a, it's called the theory of flourishing and it's, you know, backed by a lot of research that's been done in the field of positive psychology. And they've essentially done, you know, years of research, quantitative and qualitative on, on people who report to have a high quality of life, a high level of what's called subjective well-being, which is a more technical way of kind of conceptualizing happiness. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, and so the five pillars they found, you know, in people who who report to have a high quality of life and who are happy in whatever way they've defined that, um, they score very high in five particular areas of life. The first is in positive emotion. So this is, you know, quite self-explanatory, but they feel more positive emotion than negative emotion. Um, there's been some research around the, I can't remember what the ratio is called, but there's like a three to one, almost like golden rule for every three positive emotions. There's one negative emotion and how that's kind of like a healthy balance. (laughs) Um, And the second pillar or category is uh, engagement. So engagement refers more to kind of our our quality of attention and presence in our day-to-day life and how engaged we feel with the things that we're doing, whether that's the dishes or, you know, or work that feels very purposeful to you. It's getting into that state of flow where you're absorbed in the task at hand and you're kind of fully giving yourself to something that feels energizing. So that's number two. Number three is relationships. Again, none of these are super surprising. Um, So the category of relationships, how, you know, how much I think it just illuminates how much we're affected by the people we surround ourselves by, how much support we feel, how um, how celebrated we feel, how honest and open we can be in our relationships with people. So that's category number three. And then the last two are meaning and accomplishment. So with meaning, again, people who report to have a high quality of life find ways to give meaning to the things that they do. And meaning is a very subjective construct, right? It's all about the the stories that we make up about things and the meaning we give to things. And if we're willing to kind of have a perspective on things that we experience through a lens of, um, you know, gratitude, through a lens of, um, you know, this is happening for me and not to me, through a lens of kind of seeing the glass half full, if you will. And then the last is accomplishment. And this really just has to do with our kind of innate need as humans to feel like we're accomplishing things and moving forward and, and um, seeing progress in whatever way we, we choose to see progress. That doesn't necessarily mean you're constantly setting goals and meeting your goals. I think often that actually um, decreases our life satisfaction because we often set the bar really high for ourselves and then constantly fall short, not because we're not good enough, but because we... I don't know. This is, it takes us in a bit of a different direction with kind of sabotage, self-sabotage. So I won't, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but what I will say is that it's, you know, it's important for us to feel like at the end of the day, we did something good. And, and so that's kind of a a high level nutshell of the theory of flourishing and the five pillars that, that they found lead to a high quality of life. So it's positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. Yeah. And I feel like these core pillars should actually be a checklist. So how we can also check in with ourselves and our loved ones. So if we see someone struggling, if we're struggling, it's like, go through your list, right? But going Mm -hmm. through that checklist and go, okay, 
what is that area that, you know, I really need exactly. to pay a little bit more attention to that might be lacking that's affecting yeah. my mental health totally. and physical health? Because we know those two are intricately linked as well. Yeah, absolutely. It can be a great way to kind of like do a pulse check and say, okay, what am I feeling right now? Where, what is my attention? What am I focusing my attention on right now? Who can I, you know, who am I feeling connected to or disconnected to? What meaning am I making of this experience? And it, it's, it becomes a nice way to kind of just check in and, and, um, see what feels wobbly perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, Talia, I love all of our conversation. I feel like we can talk so much about it. I know people would appreciate resources as well. And you're active online. So where can our listeners find out more about you? Yeah, I am very active on Instagram. It's really the only platform that I choose to engage on. So for anyone who's curious on, you know, more of this type of content and learning more about how to talk to your inner child, things to say to your inner child, exercises, frameworks. You can find me over on Instagram at Talia Delju. And you'll also be able to find a link to the inner child challenge there as well. If that's something you're curious about diving into. Awesome. And I will include all of those in the show notes to make it easier for people to access. Um, Talia, thank you so much for being here to shed insight on really how we can all be healthier, happier, confident. And I know some that's something we could all aspire to be. And it's a yeah. journey, like we mentioned, not a destination. Exactly. Yeah. I hope everyone took something away. And if nothing else, it's just learning to be a little bit more kind to the voices inside. Absolutely. And to the listeners, I'm very sure that you found this episode helpful. But if you'd like more resources, information, please do reach out. And we're happy to connect with you. Thank you as always for tuning in until next time. Thank you for listening to the baby steps nutrition podcast with your host, Argavan Forush. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review share with others, and follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. See you next time. Tune in. Feel great.